This is the Adopted Mom Podcast. Adoption may look different for each family, but we need solidarity from other crazy people who took this leap. And that is what we do here. We encourage, we build up, we share the wins and losses. We lean on each other and we get through this together. Thanks for joining us. Hi, everyone. I'm coming at you with episode 10 of season three with me, your host, Alex Fitton. This will be part one of a two-part series on disrupted adoptions by the adoptive families. It's going to be another tearjerker, so buckle up. A few weeks ago, I did an episode with Kristen Compston on disrupted adoption by birth mother's choice. But in this episode and the next one, we're going to hear from two different mamas who chose to disrupt. These truths are hard, but they're so important to hear. Um, First up, we have a favorite of the podcast, Amy Butler. Amy is so amazing and wise, y'all, and I am so glad she came back to share this part of their story. Um, You're going to get to hear a part of their journey that is darker and harder, and I hope some of you find solidarity and perspective. Before we hop over to the interview, I want to remind y'all to go sign up for my email list and get a free sticker while you're at it. You can do that at theadoptivemompodcast.com slash email. And I also want to thank you guys for participating in my giveaway with the Family Seal Company. Be sure to go follow them and share the love, and I'll be announcing the winner this week. Um, Finally, if you found value in this podcast, would you take a minute to go rate and review it on iTunes? It will really help the podcast to be recommended to more adoption characters who need to hear it. So with all that said, let's welcome Amy back to the show. All right, guys, welcome to the Adopted Mom Podcast, and you guys have remembered her from season one. You've flooded both of our inboxes and completely filled her schedule, and so she's definitely a fan favorite. So welcome back, Amy Butler. Thanks. It's good to be back. Yeah, um, always. Seriously, I think that uh, I think that I hear more about your episode than any other, which is so fun. Because I think that that speaks to how good you are at what you do. Um, speaking of which, can you tell us all what you do? Sure. I'm a licensed counselor and I tend to work with um, adoptive parents and adoptive moms. And I work with marriages, um, you know, things like that. So, For sure. And I think that you're... Uh, for those of you who haven't listened to her episode back in season one, Amy is so good at working with parents who are struggling with trauma and uh, marriages that are maybe having strain put on them because of the trauma their kids are causing. And that is because you are also an adoptive mom, which is super cool. Um, yeah. So yeah, just take a second to introduce us to your family so um, that those who didn't listen can be caught up. Sure. So I... I'm an adoptive mom of two children and two biological children. Um, we were two, the two adoptions that we've had are um, one was an infant adoption, um, domestic, and another adoption that we were able to do was through foster care, um, fostering um, first, and then we were able to adopt her. Um, and so, um, so yeah, our family has um, walked through two very different kinds of adoptions and very much impacts uh, who I am as a counselor and able to help people. Which is so awesome. And I think that that, um, I think that that's what draws people to you is that you speak from a place of um, not, you know, not having healed from all of this or not being past it or having it all together, but from being in that phase of life too. Um, 
but the reason, obviously, I mean, this, this episode is about disrupted adoptions. And so you have one of those stories too. Yes, I do. Um, and I know one, I know it's tied to one of your other adoptions. So you guys that are listening, just to understand, we're not going to be using this child's name or anything like that, just to protect their privacy and to protect the privacy of her sister who does live in your home still. Absolutely. So yeah, why don't we why don't we jump into that? How did how did that story begin? Well, uh, we did our first adoption was the domestic one of an infant, and he's still our baby of the family. And so when um, you know we just kind of felt like our family was not complete yet, and so we we felt very led to go through the foster care system um, to connect to who we felt like we were wanting to be open to a girl. Um, and so we went through the process, um, through the call and got ourselves open. And then through project zero, we were connected to a sibling group of two little girls. Um, at the time they were, um, I believe like five and seven ish. And, um, our, our profile and who we were kind of looking for matched, one of the girls. And so they asked us if we would be willing to consider a, a sibling group. And we hadn't really thought of that before. Um, it, it wasn't, we were, we were kind of unsure. Um, could we take on two? Uh, we were kind of looking towards one, but you know, um, a lot of the kids that are out there waiting, you know, they, um, there's not always just one of them. Um, sometimes they have siblings. So the girls were half siblings and, um, and at times had lived together at times did not live together. And so I think, uh, the state was trying their best to try to keep them together. So, um, so yeah, so we just kind of, uh, uh, you know, looked at the case and looked at the girls, um, stories and just what all was going on. And at that time we really felt led to, um, check it out further, went and met with them and, um, just continued to feel like, that is for sure the direction we were supposed to go. So that's where we met them. And that's where uh, we began to get connected to them. Yes. And so just just for reference, how long was your disrupted child in your home total? Um, she was in our home for five months total. And just to give some perspective for adoptive parents, how long was it before you realized that this was probably not going to work out? You know, probably uh, uh, the couple of weeks uh, was in our home. Um, it was incredibly intense and stressful um, just in general to have the two girls come into our home. They they both have um, high trauma levels from their backstories. Um, and so, um, you know, the whole transition was incredibly stressful, uh, painful, um, just incredi- incredibly chaotic. And so, you know, a couple of weeks in, you know, I, I can kind of remember thinking in my heart and in my head, man, how do we sustain this? How do we keep moving forward? Um, and I, I started to wonder, you know, are we going to be able to pull this off? Um, so pretty early on, I was beginning to, um, you know, not feel like we had made a mistake or anything like that. I, I don't ever remember feeling that um, like, oh, my goodness, did we make a mistake? It wasn't like that. It was more like, how do we complete this mission, you know, of adoption and or keeping kids safe? Um, 
And so I, I can remember pretty early on wondering, um, are we going to be able to sustain the safety of all the children in this home and continue to get these girls in a place of healing and care? Um, so it was it was pretty immediate. That's and I think that that's that's good that you were aware enough of your situation. But I think like a lot of people would do, you know, you're a fighter and I think every adoptive mom is a fighter to many degrees. Mm-hmm. But so you tried, you know, you you were like, we're going to stick this out. We're going to see what happens. And um, I, I want to know about that process, because I think anyone would be struggling with shame, guilt, grief, uh, mourning the loss of what you thought was going to happen. Um, talk to me about some of those feelings and and what how you worked through them before you guys made this final decision. Yeah, that that's a big part of our story is that process um, that you're talking about. You know, we, you know, it was hard and we knew it was going to be hard. We feel like we walked in with our eyes wide open and we did not go in thinking, oh, we're going to save these girls and they're going to be so thankful and so awesome. And, (laughs) you know, we, we went in knowing we were asking for hard, like we, we knew and we really felt in our faith. Um, that Jesus was saying, walk, go, you know? And so I think through that time, you know, it was kind of a, um, a roller coaster of feels. Um, you know, I just, I do, I have a lot of fight in me and, and it showed in all the resources I would plug the girls into, you know, they had seven specialists working on each of them um, at one given time, meaning OT, ST, PT, uh, trauma therapy, uh, family counseling. I mean, we were being inundated by a tribe around us to help us move forward. And um, that's how intense it was. Um, and so, you know, I'm a pretty determined person. I wanted to just, you know, give it as long as we could um, to, to uh, keep being able to say yes. You know, that was ultimately my goal, even if I had those thoughts in my head, like, are we going to be able to sustain. That's the word that kept coming to my heart was, is this sustainable? Can we do this for 10, 15 years um, and ensure the safety of all involved? Um, And so that was always the question. But, you know, during that, I was I had a lot of grit, a lot of drive to um, get these girls uh, to as much care um, to kind of rehab all that had been um, neglected or lost prior in their story. Um, and so I was kind of on a mission, you know, so a big part of that five months was fighting, um, toward fighting on her behalf, fighting on, um, my current daughter's behalf. And that kept me pretty busy and distracted from how hard it was actually. Mm. Um, and, and so kind of during that time, like as it got closer to the end of that five month period of time, um, it had gotten so, um, you know, so like the, the question of, are we going to be able to maintain the safety levels in our home became my, my answer began saying to myself, no, like we're, we're losing the ability to hold safety in this house. Um, we're trying as hard as we can. We're doing every safety protocol you could possibly imagine, um, consulted with everybody you could imagine that has um, specialty in this area. And um, we did everything we possibly could um, to to provide safety um, for our home. And 
you know, towards the end of the five months, it began to become even more of a reality. I don't think this is going to work long term, you know, um, and there's there's lots of different reasons for that. But just um, so so kind of towards the end is when I began to, you know, uh, really wrestle internally with, um, you know, uh, feelings like, you know, checking my own heart, you know, where am I at? Am I just trying to get out of something because it's hard? Um, what kind of a mom does that? <laughs> what kind of people, <laughs> you know, that uh, we just didn't want to be those people, whatever that means, um, that get into something and it looks like we jump out because it was hard. Um, you know, so I, I did a lot of wrestling around stuff like that and, um, you know, really um, was feeling like, man, I'm just not enough. You know, if I was just, if I could just sleep less or just, not be so tired or weary or emotional. Um, if I just weren't, you know, if I were more of myself, then maybe I could do it. And so, um, and you know, I remember feeling and thinking things like that as I was wrestling through what began to become inevitable, um, that we were not going to be able to keep the oldest half sister in our home. Um, you know, we were just not able to ensure safety, um, and that's a deal breaker for me. Yeah, absolutely. I think it would be for everyone. But um, so many of us let what other people think or what what the enemy tries to tell us overcome what we know to be right. And so I want to ask you, you know, when you're late at night during those five months when you would, you know, all the kids would be asleep for like a few minutes and you're sitting there and, and the negative thoughts start coming and they tell you that you're not good enough, that you're not strong enough, that you're giving up, that you, you know, all of those things. What was, what did you start hearing Jesus tell you? You know, I, to be honest with you, that time was such a dark time for me spiritually. I don't know during that time as far as, you know, um, you know, I, I feel like he was, I look back on it and I, I know he was there and I know he was, you know, um, he was, he was there and guiding my heart, but man, I just, it was pretty dark. Um, and so I kind of just was in a place of where I'm at as a counselor. I kind of leaned on that part of me more mm. than me, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I, I really counted on that part, um, to kind of guide decisions of safety and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it really, it wasn't until probably about four or five months after the disruption, when I was hanging with Jesus, talking to him about the whole ordeal. I mean, it was just, it felt like crisis after crisis. Um, we were just looking back, we just weren't okay. Um, and so when I had a few months where things began to feel safer and less crisis, when I look back on that and I was talking to Jesus about it and that's when I began to hear him, you know, just speak grace over my heart, you know, where I would tell him, man, Jesus, like, you know, I just feel like it just doesn't make sense. You know, you, we thought we heard you. Did I not hear you correctly? You know, did me and my husband miss you on this? Um, you know, how, why would you call us to do this? And we keep, we're able to, hold one in our family and the other one we had to um, ensure her safety somewhere else and her well-being somewhere else. And it just is messy. And, you know, I just would talk to him about that. And, 
I just began to to feel like he was he was just speaking very gracious things over my heart. Like, you know, in essence, I felt like he was saying to me, um, you know, you did exactly what I knew you would do. You would get both of those girls to safety. You introduced both of them to me. Um, you know, you know, being a part of the process that got them to a plan where they could grow in a place of safety was maybe not what they would have gotten had we not been a part of that. And so, um, so, you know, it's just, he just began to, um, grace anything where I would be hard on myself, um, doubting myself. Uh, doubting that we made the right choices and all of that. Cause man, when you look at it, it is not pretty. It is messy. It is not cookie cutter. It doesn't feel Christiany. Um, and so man, I, I, I would wrestle with it, but every time I would talk to him about it, I just had this peace that, um, he trusted us in that mess and we navigated it, um, and advocated on the older one's behalf. Um, in ways that she had never been advocated for. Um, and everything that we did, we did in love. Um, even the way we transitioned the disruption, as painful as that was, um, you know, I don't know. It's just when you're not on the sidelines and you're actually out in the middle of the field playing, um, it's not pretty. And your decisions don't get to look pretty either. So. So I know that you guys obviously didn't just like stick her outside with her stuff. So how you came to the decision of what you were going to do and what that looked like in your marriage. Um, did you both reach this decision at the same time or did one of you struggle with the guilt or the the fight longer than the other? Yeah, I, I love that question. Um, so we had an incredible team at DCFS um, that walked this journey with us and um, You know, um, they just truly cared about both of the girls just like we did and wanted um, safety for all as well. So um, as far as the disruption plan that we came up with, we um, we did it as a team. um, And I just would ask Jesus, like, you know, help me, you know, like where where can she go where she can continue to walk out her healing journey um, and safety, um, and care. And so we ended up, um, getting connected to a residential place, um, that took in girls and there's a faith element to it. And I talked to them and, um, all the other places I had talked to, it was like a brick wall in my face. It just Mm. wasn't, there wasn't, um, spots open or it just didn't feel right. And so when I talked to the, this place where we ended up connecting her to, everything about it was flowing, you know, just that they had a spot open for her pretty immediately. Um, you know, like they were going to, um, encourage her faith and growth and their program was just incredible. And so, uh, it just felt so right. Uh, that's the only way I know how to describe it. Just in the middle of all these, no, 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 not this one. There was this yes. Um, and they were excited to have her and they were excited to love on her. And that just made me feel, um, you know, that like even in the disruption, we wanted to love her well. Um, and so so we were a part of that plan and DCFS was wonderful and really worked alongside of us, you know, because there's a lot of things that go into that and mm-hmm. the task. And so um, it was just 
even when I look back now, the flow of all of that felt, um, I don't know how to describe it, just felt right, felt peaceful when it shouldn't have. Um, and so um, that was that was kind of how we walked that disruption plan. And we were doing it alongside counselors and, you know, we all did it as a family um, discussion and with a therapist. And so we, we tried to walk it as loving as you can a disruption. I don't know if that it's like a oxymoron, but, um, but yeah, so that, that's kind of what that looked like. And then, you know, between my husband and I, you know, we, we were often in that five months, you know, one day I would be like, man, I I don't know that this is sustainable. And my husband would be like, I don't know, maybe we, maybe it is, you know, and then, (laughs) then and then on a different day, he would be the one that's like, oh my gosh, like this is not going to be doable. And I would be like, well, maybe, you know. And so we 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 were constantly kind of um, back and forth. Um, and but when it came down to it, you know, at that five month mark, when it became so clear that this is not going to be maintained to be safe, um, we were both on the same page um, when we needed to be. And so. Um, it was painful. It was hard, um, you know, to walk something like that. I mean, it, it's just, there's no words for it. You never think as a parent, you'll be in a situation where anything like that would make sense. Um, I never thought I would be there. Um, I probably would have judged me, um, prior to that moment. Um, you know, like, wow, you know, who, who disrupts a kid? That's horrible. Um, and so I don't know, it just was really hard, but we, we did at that point, we were completely on the same page. Um, it was hard, but we walked it together and, um, I couldn't have done it, you know, without my husband, you know, the two of us definitely walked that together and, um, you know, really tried to be there for each other because we were the only two that really got it. Yeah. Oh, and I mean, that's so true. And we've, we talked about that in your last episode too. Um, just how I feel like we come to this divide where this, the pressure can break us or it can pull us together. And that sounds like a cliche, but as adoptive moms, we know that to be true. I feel like so much more than a lot of situations. Um, but I wanted to, so I had a couple more questions. Uh, first of all, so how, how is Ellie, was her heart protected as you'd hoped? Yes. Um, you know, that was another thing that I, my mama heart worried about is like, what is the effect it's going to have on her? Um, you know, man, I was worried about everybody, honestly, you know, just when a kid is in your home and then they are gone one day and that messes with every kid. Um, so I worried about her. I was wondering how that was going to land on her, but she, you know, um, she just very quickly began to show behaviors of relief. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's hard to describe, you know, the older, the older one, um, she had so much trauma inside of her and her story and it, and not to her fault either. I mean, just things that had happened to her, um, that that greatly affected the younger one on a trauma level. And, you know, I think for Ellie, you know, she might've for the first time felt completely safe. Yeah. Um, so I started watching those behaviors, you know, she was sleeping better. She was, um, you know, she's really developing, you know, to be a big girl instead of some more regressive behaviors and, 
So we really started to watch her thrive, um, which is what I was hoping for or even kind of what I was predicting was going to happen um, when the safety levels in our house went up. And that is what happened. And, you know, she just um, took on a little bit of this carefree. It's like we got started to get to know her, actually. Mm. It's like we started to see her personality come out. Um, and I and I wanted to always create space that it was okay for her to hurt and to miss her um, half-sister. And um, so I would check in on her every once in a while. And every once in a while she would say, you know, I'm sad. I miss her. And I'm like, of course you do. Of course you do. Um, and so we even tried to create contact with the girls. And even that was on a let's see in a supervised level where an adult was always listening and um, it began to become not beneficial and healthy. And so, um, they began to, um, have less and less contact per therapist recommendation. And, you know, now she's, um, not really asking about her, but I, I continue to ask her cause I want her to know it's okay to talk about. And at any point she might be sad about it again. And so, um, but really, you know, we see her thriving and doing very, very well. And just the kind of the, the fruit of a little kid feeling safe. Absolutely. Uh, and that's, I mean, that's amazing to hear. And I think that that's going to bring grace to a lot of parents who might be in this situation. And, um, and speaking of that, the, this last question I wanted to ask you was, um, because I've, I've talked to you and I've heard your story before. And I know that a big part of what you learned through that was that, that she was never yours to fix. And even mm-hmm. though you might have thought that in the beginning or might have thought that if you failed, then, then every, then everything would fail her. And that, and I think that, um, that you learned that that was never the intention, that that was never what God had for you or her. Um, and so on that note, if you're talking to parents who might be in this situation where they're letting the shame keep them, keep them going or keep them in a situation that is not healthy for their other kids or for their marriage or whatever else, what would you say to them? Wow. Um, you know, I can even feel that picture as you were painting it. It's super heavy um, and chaotic. And so I, number one, would say do not ever walk that alone. Um, you know, a lot of times in situations like that, families turn in um, and begin to isolate and begin to try to figure it out on their own um, because, man, there's just the trauma and the the things that go on in those homes um, are hard to talk about. Um not what the normal families probably deal with and um, whatever normal is, by the way. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, so I just would say, don't walk it alone. You know, you really do um, need a, a well-trained therapist, um, a community of people that understand walking it with you. And so that you have somewhere to turn with all of that. So you're not feeling like you have to make those decisions all by yourself. And that, that was our case. Like when we, when we made the disruption plan, we were not in that decision alone. Um, that that was not just my husband and I's decision. Um, that was our decision, plus the DCFS team, plus the counselors, plus, you know, we had an entire tribe around us um, that were helping us to navigate really difficult decisions. And so um, it's not a decision to take lightly. Um, and so, but yeah, so I'd first say don't walk it alone because, you know, someone trained in those things are going to help you to see um, things like what you hear me saying, safety levels, you know, like a therapist is trained to know how to 
assess, you know, how safe is your home and, and to make decisions based on that, um, which is where children continue to thrive and grow developmentally um, versus not safe, which will completely um, destruct, destroy your home and so in your relationships in it. So um, safety, you've heard me say that word about 500 times. <laughs> safety, safety is key. Um, you know, everyone deserves to go to a home that is safe, um, and to feel safe. That's their sanctuary, their rest place. So, um, I'd say take it seriously and really be self-aware and look inside of you and say, you know, what, what's going on? What, you know, we need help. We need a village around us. We, um, we need to not just spiritualize this. It's very spiritual. Um, but I think people, um, that are following Jesus in this, um, you know, I would be careful to not spiritualize it to the point where you're being shamed um, for things that maybe have to do with safety. And so, um, so yeah, I think that can be pretty tricky. And uh, I would hate for anybody to walk that alone. It's very painful. I very think that- that is such a, I mean, that's such a powerful statement, just that um, we don't need to spiritualize things that would get in the way of safety, because you're right, every kid deserves that. Um, oh, that's, I'm letting that soak in, because it was, it's so powerful. And I think that it's going to bring grace to a lot of parents that are in this situation. Um, well, yeah, so I mean, thank you so much for your story. It touch it. I know it touches so many lives and hopefully this will help it to touch so many more lives and we can follow you on Facebook, right? For your adventures around the world. Now Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Amy's doing a lot of traveling for her, um, her new project. So, uh, Facebook at Amy Butler and, uh, that's it, right? Are you on Instagram? I can't remember. Yes. Instagram. I'm the Butler, Amy, the Butler, of course. (laughs) <laughs> I'm yes. sure your kids think you are that, right? The yes. butler. Yeah. That's it feels, which is why that's my Instagram. <laughs> I love it. Wow, you guys, I cannot get enough words from Amy. She is the best. Finally, for today, we're going to hear from Rachel Kirksey. Rachel's story is so good and hard and beautiful and heartbreaking. And if that's not a good tea up, then I'm not sure what is. So let's get to it. All right, guys, like I said a minute ago, we're here with Rachel Kirksey, who I'm thrilled to death to be with. And I have to say, give the disclaimer that she is not an adoptive mom. She's not even technically a foster parent. And um, and this story is completely her own. It's her side of things of how um, their potential adoption fell through and why they made those choices. And I'm so excited to talk to her, but she's not going to be talking specifically about this little boy or his story. And I think that that is so awesome because we talk a lot on the podcast about how we're not the main characters of our kids or any other kids stories. We're only the main characters of our own stories. And that's such a huge part of the podcast is our own heart. So with all of that said, welcome, Rachel. How's it going? Hey, good. Good deal. So can you tell us all about just about you? What do you do? Who you are, etc.? My name is Rachel Kirksey. I am married to Ben. We've been married for eight years. And we have two little boys at home now, um, two bio kids, Rhett and Jude. They are six and four. 
We live in Fayetteville, and I am a stay-at-home mom, but as my mom says, there's not a lot of staying at home involved in that. <laughs> so I um, just have my hands in a few different volunteer things and keep my kids running from place to place constantly. Yes, absolutely. But I think you're I think you're completely downplaying some really important things about what you do. So first of all, you're the women's ministry <laughs> director at, at the Grove Church. I lead the women's ministry. I don't think I'm a director oh, of whatever, anything. Whatever. <laughs> yes, I lead the women's ministry at the Grove. Okay, and then also Art in the Park. And yes, Ben um, is. My husband is on the board of an organization called Serve NWA, which used to be called the Cobblestone Project, and they serve folks who are either experiencing homelessness or on the margins, um, at risk, and so we live in South Fayetteville where there's a whole lot of that going on, and we specifically run one of the programs under Serve, which is called Art in the Park, and once a month. We have um, a meal together at Walker Park here in South Fayetteville, and we provide paints and canvases and give people the opportunity to paint. It's The idea is to do something creative, restorative, and rather than like me standing on this side of a service line and handing out food while you walk, you, a person in need, walk on the other side of the line, it's a little more, which those are good things, but this is um, a sit shoulder to shoulder and do something together and hopefully offer some dignity and um, new relationships in that setting, which is how we came to know the kiddo we're going to talk about. Yes. And so even though I had to pull it out of your humble self, we now know how much of a (laughs) boss you are. (laughs) Thank you. But I think that that is a good launching point to your story. So what happened? How why are you on this episode, Miss Rachel? So I was an unofficial foster mom for 15 months. Um, very recently closed the chapter on that. Um, but last February, we had a little boy come to live with us. We met his family through Art in the Park when he was an infant, and we walked through life with them really closely at times and then not closely at all for different periods. But um, from the time he was born until the time he was three, that was um, an on and off relationship. And when he was three, they just got to a point where they couldn't care for him at the time and basically asked us to keep him for a little while and just Um, turned into a longer while and a longer while. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was DHS never became involved in his case. And so this was totally through private court. Um, When they asked us to keep him, my husband and I used a private attorney to get guardianship of him to protect ourselves and them so that all of our relationships were like good and clear. Mm -hmm. Um, And we stepped into that with the earnest hope and expectation that there would be reconciliation for that family. Right. And so after it became clear that that was not the case um, or that that was not going to happen, I know that you guys went through an emotional journey of your own. And I know that you were put in situations where you had to, you know, advocate for, you know, him and, that was some uncomfortable stuff because you didn't know where you were or who you 
you know, who you wanted to fight for, who you needed to fight for, including yourselves. Mm. So mm-hmm. talk to us a little bit about your heart and all of that and that journey for you. Yeah. So, um, I mean, like I said, our personal relationship started with the bio parents, which is probably an unusual way for mm-hmm. a foster parent to begin. And so up until the day that he came to live with us, my heart was always for the bio parents and, you know, he, because they had a child, it was like more urgent than most of the people that I know, um, who are in similar situations, but I always was fighting for them as a family. And so then when he came to live with us, it, the balance just kind of shifted a little bit where it had, I finally realized that the best thing for them and the best thing for him were not the same. Mm. And that was the first hard shift. And he probably was with us for months before I actually realized that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second, like, as it became increasingly apparent that reconciliation wasn't going to happen, then we just assumed for a long time that that meant we would adopt him. And um, so as the months kind of ticked by, we were increasingly operating like he would be here forever. And that was hard. It was hard because these things are hard. Um, But there was something else going on that I could not name at the time, but it was like fire in my soul that something was wrong. Something was not going right. But, and, you know, I was especially not in a good place um, at different times. And I guess consistently throughout that time for a few months. And I had friends who could like kind of lovingly try to say to me like, oh, this is not going very well. Or like, what, don't you think you need to find something else? But the fact was that we had prayed for his safety as a family. I mean, every night for nine months before he came to live with us and pretty consistently for the two and a half years prior to that. And so I felt like we prayed for his safety every night and then he was put in my safe home. And so that seems like an answer Mm -hmm. to me. Um, And so I, even though I, everything inside of me was saying something was wrong. I was just like, no, I'm trusting God in this and, um, doing the right thing is hard. And so that's why this is hard right now. Yeah. And so what, how, how long before, you know, I, I think that it sounds like you probably went through some familiar stages of grief through this whole process that ended in acceptance, but How long do you think that process lasted for you before you finally were able to say out loud to yourself, much less others, that this was not his, this was not God's plan for your family. And this was not his plan for forever. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, so we finally reached the decision in the end of August or beginning of September. So he had been with us for six or seven months then, um, that was when we decided that we were not going to adopt him. And we probably started saying that to our close friends by October. Um, but 
until we knew who his adoptive family was, it was still really hard to explain to someone. And it's still pretty awkward and vulnerable to explain to someone. Like I had um, my oldest child just finished kindergarten and I had a teacher at school, not his teacher, another teacher at school stopped me one day and she was like, I'm sorry, this is weird, but this, can you tell me about your family? What's going on here? Because I'm like dragging these three mismatched children through school <laughs> every day. Um, my two don't look alike at all. And then our foster kiddo, he did not look like either one of them either. And they're like really close in age and developmentally really far apart. And it was people were like, are they triplets or do they not go together at all? I can't tell. Um but yeah, and that was the first time that I was like, oh, this is a perfect stranger. And I'm going to try to explain to her that this kid is in desperate need and I'm not adopting him. Mm. Um, and it is really hard to say like, well, it just wasn't God's plan because I don't want to pin something on God. Um, I don't want to just like pass it off on him. Um, but it is something just supernatural or like bigger than I can explain mm. to another person. But, okay, okay, in August is when we really knew we finally got to basically a tipping point. Um, I was in a super, super unhealthy place, and I was regularly talking about the feeling of drowning. Mm. Um, and I was with some good friends one night, Three other women who know foster care intimately. One is a foster mom and two are counselors and trainers for the call here in Northwest Arkansas. And so, you know, people can, like my other friends could give me loving advice, but they didn't know where I was. And so, or they didn't have the same experience. And so it just lands differently. Mm -hmm. um, but these girls knew like exactly where we were. And so I was talking to them about this feeling that I was drowning, that maybe the Lord was like holding me underwater. Mm. And um, one of them said, look, these are not things that come from God. This is a lie if you believe that this feeling is something that God is doing to you. And she said, you don't have to be the one to adopt him. And that was the first time that I heard a little bit of permission to choose not to, even though like anyone else who knows and loves me and is listening to this is probably like, I tried to tell you that in July. <laughs> um, it just couldn't, it just wasn't the same until then. And then the next day at church, um, we were talking about Hannah, and Hannah, we usually hear her story as like, she prayed for a son, and God gave her a son, and it was really beautiful, and this is how he answers prayer. But what I heard in that was that Hannah was not able to have a son, and she cried out to the Lord in her grief, and she begged Him to see her in her grief. And she did ask him for a son and promised to give him to the Lord. But even in her darkest place, she still went to him and still said, like, I need you to meet me in this. And mm. um, 
that was a really good example to me of just that that's okay, even when you don't understand where the heck God is in this. And even when you're angry, you still cry out to Him. And my natural MO in life is to basically cry out to um, the people around me first before I go to the Lord. And so I would say that I was seeking Him more than ever before in my life. Um, But that was just a beautiful picture of such pain and um, laying it before the Lord. And I sometimes host at church, which means you do the sermon wrap-up, and I got to do the sermon wrap-up for that one. And so everyone got to watch me be publicly wrecked on stage (laughs) at the end of that, as God was, like, reckoning with me right there. But so I think it was that afternoon uh, I said to Ben, Ben and I had, like, gone the morning before on this long walk. He had called his best friends on Thursday night and been like, this is where we are and I don't know what to do. And they, um, I think I didn't realize at the time, but he was like, I think that I'm going to lose Rachel, like just lose her heart and soul in this. And I see her going away and I'm really scared. And, um, I was like, we have to keep doing this because Ben wants to keep doing this. And obviously it's right. And so we were both kind of like trucking forward. And so we had this big heart to heart on Saturday and made a lot of ground on understanding one another. But finally Sunday, I said, I think if we could just choose someone else to adopt him, then that would be okay. That would be the right thing. And he was like, uh, what? And I kind of tried to explain it. And he said, I actually had this thought like three weeks ago, and I've been too afraid to tell you that because it didn't seem like a possibility. And we were in a really unique situation where we found out that it was a possibility Mm. um, legally because of our guardianship order and his parental rights being terminated. um, That left us as the sole decision makers for him. Wow. That's some heavy stuff. I mean, I and I don't know if listeners remember that we we go to the Grove Church. I've said that in a few different episodes. And so that's how I know Rachel. And I actually I remember that uh, (laughs) that Sunday where and I we we Rachel and I have been in some like group texts and just mom groups of adoptive moms and foster moms and whatever else. And so. I've been a little more connected to her story and seen this process. And so, Rachel, I want to ask you about some extremes in your emotions and Mm. see if you can go into detail. And so first, I want to ask you to describe the guilt and shame that you felt and then move into the peace that you felt. Mm, Okay. Um, I felt a lot of guilt and shame about there was some deficiency in me that could not love this child like my own. Um, and even more specifically, I was praying like to just love him at all. And I do and did love him, but in a way that was like not maternal. And so people like see you in the park and I, realize now that I do this to people all the time. If they say they have a difficult child and I watch them in a moment where they're not being difficult, I'm like, but he's so cute. 
and <laughs> he's so good and he's so sweet. And though there were those public moments, there was just um, this guilt and shame of choosing not to do it in a community of people who, uh, where I know how great the need is mm -hmm. for foster and adoptive parents. Um, I have a lot of friends who are doing it. Like we have loving families, sufficient support systems. Like if any, all the checklists that they would tell you to go through before deciding to adopt healthy marriage, financial resources, whatever they are, like we probably checked all the boxes on that. And so it just made no sense um, for us to not do it. And that just feeling of needing to explain myself yeah. to everyone like, well, this is why we're not doing it. Um, like I said, that's still really hard. And um, it, at some point, like I said, I, my first reaction is to go talk to someone like I'm such an extrovert. It's unreal. And if <laughs> I have five free minutes, I'm going to, choose to go out with a girlfriend, um, over stay home and read prior to this, like every single day that, <laughs> and there was a point last year where I realized like nobody else can fulfill this need that I have. Uh, I need to lean into my husband and I need to lean into the Lord because nobody else under not many people understand where we are. And also I'm, trying to prove myself before someone else in a lot of those conversations and justify myself. And, um, it a lot of times just left me more hollow feeling Yeah, because I, yeah, I just worked so hard to explain it all away. Goodness girl. I mean, I relate with that so much. We didn't, I mean, we, we still, we chose to adopt, but those feelings are so real and those feelings of um, having to explain yourself and not feeling like anyone understands. Um, uh, even just hearing it all over again, I completely relate to that and I completely yeah. understand and my heart breaks for you that you went through that. Um, and I know that that shame is still something that you're going to wrestle with for a while, but um Upon yeah. making that decision in that moment on that walk with your husband, um, talk to me about the peace that you felt. Oh, so I really want a metaphor for peace. And I'm in charge of our women's ministry. I'm um, sorry, in, of our women's retreat. And in the spring, the um, theme was peace. And so I was like still going to counseling regularly at that point. And I was one day like, um, so we're having this retreat about peace and I really need to understand what I think about peace before we go into this. <laughs> and she was like, here you are just trying to have it all together before someone asks you a question. <laughs> yep. Okay. So are you telling me we haven't made much ground here yet? Um, but so I, all that is to say that I want to describe peace as like a grassy meadow that you are just resting in or floating on a cloud or something. Um, but I think there are two kinds of peace. There's a, or I experienced two kinds of peace mm -hmm. in this. There was a confidence that I was um, 
in the care of the Lord. And even in that darkest pit where I was saying, like, I think that the Lord has left me to, is actually forcing this on me. I was at the same, this is so weird to say, at the same time, like, but he's the Lord and I know that he is good. And so I trust him in that. Um, And that looking back on it was like a two feet on the ground and maybe water coming up above my head rather than being in um, a pool, a, a body of water and drowning. I don't know if that metaphor works for anyone else, but it does for me. Um, and then the piece of knowing that we've done, made the right decision, um, that's probably the hardest to reconcile with the shame because there is like a relief because you just, quote, go back to your old life. Right. Um, and for a long time, I thought it would just be like a vacation all the time. Like, oh, yeah, we're just going back to our old life. Um where we only have two kids, and that's just easier than three, much less foster care. His adoption, we got to choose his adoptive family, and we got to make the schedule for his transition. And just the incredible peace that the Lord has given us in that um, has been like, it's just been affirmed over and over again um, by this certainty in our souls that he's in the right place. The Lord is really gracious in this situation because he's doing really, really, really well in his transition. Um, And so there's like a visible signal that we've done the right thing. Um, You brought us in at a time where no one else was intervening in this kid's life. Mm. And um, all the systems were just failing to see where he was and um, praying for his safety never in my life did I think meant him being here um, in the way that it happened. But you have used us in a way that interrupted the path that he was on. And so all of the pain was worth that. And, um, you, he, the Lord has grown me so much in this and grown our kids in it. And, uh, I can see clearly that it is good. I can say that, uh, I was not good in all of it, but that the whole thing in total, um, is good. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you use the metaphor of drowning. Um, I just, I think that that is, I don't know. I, I don't know the word. I don't want to say beautiful because that isn't beautiful, but it resonates <laughs> with me so much because that is the exact picture that I have had for so long. And um, you might be about to make be the second person that's made me cry on my own podcast, but um, you know, I'm gifted at that. Oh, yes. But I, I remember telling people that, that I felt like I was just gasping for breath, like pulling myself over the water just to get a breath constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still feel like that at times, but I feel a little bit better now. But peace, if someone were to ask me to describe it, I would say it feels like 
the stronghold on my lungs being let go and me just being able to breathe. Um, and I've experienced that peace, but only through kind of what we've been talking about, only through acknowledging that I'm only the main character in my own story, that I am not here to fix everything. That's not God's plan for me. That's not my lot in life. That's not anyone's lot in life to fix everything or to bear the weight of someone else's story. Um, and it sounds like that's a big journey for you is just learning that God didn't necessarily have it on your plate to carry his story in to, to, you know, to fulfillment. And so I know that, you know, we're constantly learning from our, um, our stories and our journeys that God has put us on. But would you say now that, that this was, this was as much for you as it was for him? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, what you said just made me think back on the shame discussion because um, the greatest shame point for me in this was that what I learned the most was how horrible I am <laughs> without God. Yeah. Like that every natural tendency in me is angry and selfish and self-protective. Mm. And um, as much as I want to be like, standing on the street corner, handing out food and hugs every day. Uh, really the, in my heart of hearts is like, no, no, that's, I want that to be in a little box, a little time box over here. And the rest of my life should be pretty smooth and easy. Um, and I, yeah, I just reckoned with my own depravity in a big, big way. Yeah. Oh girl. I feel you. All of it. I feel all of it. Um, mm. I'm so excited that we sat down to have this conversation, even though I know it's a deep one and a heavy one. And like I said, um, I've gotten to walk alongside you for part of this and, and know um, uh, a little more of the story than just everyone else you might come into contact with. And I think that that is because of the whole, you know, foster care and adoption thing. And so I knew that mm. when I wanted to do this episode, you came to my mind really fast. And so I'm really um, honored that you chose to share your story here. Well, thanks. I'm honored that you would have me for my awkward little story. <laughs> um, I, you know what? I think it's just so important. And I think people need to hear it because there are other women out there that are in this situation or that have been, or maybe they're still wrestling with that shame, or they don't tell people about it, um, because they don't realize that they have that permission. And so my hope and prayer would be that your story would encourage them and that it would be um, freeing for them that, that this clearly was not God's choice for you, even though it logically made sense um, that his path for you was different. And I think that you've, um, you've gotten to walk that beautifully. So thank you again. Thanks. Thank you, Thank you for listening to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I know this stuff is hard, and I hope you found encouragement here. Remember, you are enough, and you're doing a great job. God wants to be at the center of this journey, and He is big enough to redeem all of our mistakes. Don't forget to check out show notes and other resources at theadoptivemompodcast.com. Thanks again for listening.